This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Friday. It is July 15th, and we saw some market-moving news come out today in the broad market, broad economic news. Retail sales came out ahead of expectations. Purchases rose 1% month over month in the retail sales, and economists are treating this as maybe news that these higher prices caused by inflation aren't impacting the consumer nearly as much as they thought. We'll discuss that in the markets in just a minute with Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Advisors. And then we are going to talk with Ellen Zimmerman, the Director of Industry Relations at the U.S. Grains Council, about the trade schools they've put on in concert with the National Corn Growers Association. And in segment three, Chase DeCoit of NCBA is going to join us. There's a tick making its way across the country. This is the Asian longhorn tick. And folks, this is it's kind of scary. Uh, stay tuned. Chase is, is going to bring us up to speed on the impact that this tech could cause. And we're going to close the show by talking with Tom Haig. He's the first vice president of the National Corn Growers, and he's excited about the opportunities ahead for corn producers in this country. Well, corn producers in this country, prices are getting a little bit higher today. Well, at least that was the case in the overnight. Joining us to talk markets is Chris Robinson. Chris, thanks so much for joining us here today. Yes, sir. Thanks. How are you doing, Mike? I am fantastic. Chris, as you take a look at the markets, you know, one of the things we've been talking about for this whole week has been the strength of the U.S. dollar. It looks like we might be seeing a bit of a pullback today. Is that how you read the situation? Well, you know, the markets start to get, go to round numbers. We hit 109 yesterday, which is the highest price in 20 years. We're, we're approaching, you know, Big, big technical resistance. These markets have gotten real technical this year. All the grains, uh, commodities, the dollars is really no different. So a little bit of a pullback. If anybody was long, you know, we're heading into the weekend. Uh, we did get better than expected um, uh, sales, which is good. You know, it's kind of funny. The worst that the people, the world thinks the uh, recession is going to be, the stronger it is for the dollar because actually there's a flight to quality there. People want to own the U.S. dollar because at least it's a, kind of a safety play. So it's a, it's kind of a good news, bad news. It does make our exports more expensive. But on the flip side is it didn't stop. You know, we had a really good wheat sale yesterday, one of the best wheat sales we've had. So um, at the end of the day, it's something we got to keep watching. But, yeah, the, that U.S. dollar is definitely going to impact our exports. Chris, that wheat sale from yesterday, that was wheat headed to China. That was a bit of a surprise for me. Were you shocked to see that come across the transom? I, I was, you know, but then you started thinking that we just had a $5 sell-off in wheat. We're back to where we were in February. So, you know, if at the end of the day, you know, a month and a half ago, the UN told us we were six weeks away from running out of wheat. And then, so this break has obviously given uh, end users the opportunity to step in and buy it. And that's kind of the way these markets work. Um, if you needed to buy it, this is a gift. Um, so, yeah, you saw China buy some. You saw uh, Korea and also Mexico. So um, those are – but still, a 37.4 million bushel sale of wheat, that was nice to see. 
That was nice to see, but it hasn't turned the tune in the market, Chris. Wheat, uh, all classes, still selling off today. Again, what's driving this? We don't have a lot of wheat globally, and we haven't added to it. Why are we still selling off? Well, you're kind of in that time of the year, too, where people will put the spread on, kind of a safety spread. They, they want to be long corn because we're still uncertain about pollination. And um, if, so if they buy corn, beans, typically they'll sell wheat against it. It's just one of those hedges that we see time and time again. And there's no real uh, uh, driver for wheat currently. I mean, wheat is really on its heels. Uh, we're, we're oversold, but, you know, markets can, can get over oversold for a lot longer than some people think. It has been a tremendous pullback. We basically lost the entire 2022 uh, rally. We're back to December or February levels. So we are overdone. Um, I, I think it won't take much to turn this market, but uh, you know, there's an old expression, you know, you, 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 trying to pick a bottom uh, is very, very difficult. But certainly I work with a lot of people, a lot of end users. If you're an end user, this is a gift for you to, to uh, uh, you know, step in here and start at least, you know, dollar cost averaging in. If you're a, uh, someone that needs to, you know, uh, buy wheat consistently, you're getting a gift. So there's a, there's a glass half full to it. Eventually, I think we'll, we'll catch around and get a bid. Uh, a lot depends on what happens, I think. With the Ukrainian issue, um, we go to bed, you know, for the past three, four months, excuse me, three or four weeks, we've been told there's going to be a deal over there. If that ever fell through, I think that would be something that would uh, be supportive, and we might see a turn in these oversold wheat markets. Chris, looking at the corn market, we're seeing flat to up slightly. Uh, December up two and a quarter as we talk today. This corn market heading into the weekend, what are traders watching? Well, they're watching the weather forecast. And, and, you know, a week ago Sunday, it was game on. You know, we had a rally. We rallied back above uh, 650. But, again, what's been the driver? We, you saw an exodus of commodities of money managers. They, had, they couldn't get enough commodities for the last two years. It was the inflation play. We heard about it day in and day out. That turned, I think, the day that, that uh, uh, Chair Powell mentioned the word we'd possibly have a recession, you can go back there and look. That's the last time we had 750 corn. We, you know, we just really broke. So that was the driver. A lot of money, uh, money flow and technicals. And here's the other interesting thing: we fell to that 566 level in these corn. That was the halfway back. We we had a two-year four-dollar rally in December 22 corn. Go back and look at it, and lo and behold, we're right back in the middle. I think six dollars is also a very big psychological level. Six dollars, six fifteen. You got to remember back at the beginning of the year we had I. Uh, clients that you know they sold 540 corn and they thought they were happy about that so yeah we're not at you know 750 or, or 776 but six dollar corn is still uh pretty good for a lot of producers um this is not the time to pull the goalie so make sure you keep a floor under it uh the next three weeks uh there's a lot riding on it and if the weather gets hot and dry and we actually impact yields uh we know we could have uh, you know one more run up hopefully that 650 level if it doesn't um, then, you know, we may be uh, chopping around here between $6 and five seventy-five for a while. With China coming back in, buying some wheat, making some corn purchases today, Chris, do you see them stepping in for soybeans here shortly? Well, you would think they would. Uh, that's interesting. You know, there's a pretty good uh, supply coming out of South America to uh, China currently. Um, I, I watched that November soybeans. Again, you know, there were people that sold $12 beans earlier in the year and thought that was good. We're at 1350. So yeah, you're not at 1555. And, and the Chinese, you know, they, 
like to buy stuff on sale too. You know, they just bought all that wheat yesterday and after a five dollar break. So I would watch that thirteen dollar level. It's a big psychological level. Uh, you may see some more um, buying coming there. We did have some stories last week um, that there were a few cargos that moved. But at the end of the day, if you've got a billion people feed, um, you're going to constantly be looking for areas to to step in and buy on the dips. And you know, a, a dollar move. Uh, that's the problem with soybeans. Um, we're having dollar moves now, um, almost on a weekly basis. Yeah, the volatility makes it tough to step in and get some supplies purchased. Folks, this is Chris Robinson. Chris, thank you so much for joining. Really appreciate your insight. Thanks, Mike. Have a good weekend. All right, folks, and stay with us. We'll be back for more AOA talking with Emmons Ellen Zimmerman about the trade schools that U.S. Grains Council and NCGA put on together. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. We here at the American Ag Network enjoy and celebrate our freedom and independence, and we want you to safely enjoy and celebrate your freedom and independence with us. Did you know that July 4th was not deemed a federal holiday until 1870? That's nearly 100 years after the nation was founded. The Declaration of Independence was written on a laptop. Okay, not a modern laptop, but Thomas Jefferson did draft the Declaration of Independence on a writing desk that could fit onto one's lap. That device was referred to as a laptop. An old adage among corn farmers is knee-high by the 4th of July, meaning that if one's corn stalks were at least as high as an adult's knees by Independence Day, they could expect a good harvest. And corn stalks can actually grow as tall as 13 feet high. And sweet corn, that variety that most Americans will be grilling and boiling for cookouts, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. Please celebrate our independence safely and responsibly this July with us at the American Ag Network. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. 
So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, joining me now to discuss trade is Ellen Zimmerman. She is the Director of Industry Relations at the U.S. Grains Council. Ellen, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. It's my pleasure. Happy to be here. Now, I'm really excited to talk about trade schools. I understand this is something you have been working with for some time. Bring us up to speed. Ellen, what are the trade schools that USGC puts on with NCGA? Yeah, so trade school is a partnership with um, National Corn Growers Association and then also our membership. And so uh, that partnership is going to look different depending on where in the country we're headed and what uh, member organization we're working with. So um, the most recent one we went, we did it was in Texas. We went to Belton, Texas. And so that was in partnership with the National Sorghum Producers, United Sorghum Checkoff Program, Texas Corn, uh, Texas Farm Bureau, and um, I feel like I, I might be missing one, but it was a really great partnership of all of our members there. We pull in our agribusinesses, our, our state um, organizations, and then uh, we bring in the producers and, and the folks there that need to learn about trade. And so uh, if you are interested in attending a trade school, what what you're going to experience there is big picture, what is trade, and then two, how does trade uh, relate to me and my operations? And then finally, how do I talk about trade to my peers and, and the people I might be interacting on a daily basis? So that's a high level of, of what is trade school. We've done 10 of them over the past couple of years, um, and it's been a really great partnership. So now I'm interested, Ellen, you, you mentioned you've done 10 of them. You did one in Alexandria, Minnesota mm -hmm. earlier this year, one mm -hmm. in Belton, Texas. Texas, those are very different mm -hmm. states with very different agricultural backgrounds. Does the discussion around trade change based on where the trade school is being held? Yes, it most certainly does. We work really hard to bring in what we call some local flavor, uh, wherever we might be. So um, in Texas, we talked about, you know, the railroads that um, we've kind of through Texas and being um, on the border of Mexico, how that impacts the trade there. Um, in Minnesota, we the agriculture landscape there looks very different. So. Um, in both places, we did talk about fertilizer prices because that's a really interesting case study of how trade is working today and right now. And, you know, when we look back in five years, when if, if we do this interview again in five years, um, you know, the, the case study of, of trade school is going to probably be a little different. Uh, but, you know, that, that's kind of the, the current issues, the local flavor that we try to bring into these uh, the current issues, the flavor that we're, we're looking for. Absolutely. And I, I'm curious, and I get this question from listeners from time to time. Trade is international folks buying American goods. Mm -hmm. Ellen, why do we need to learn about what they're looking for? Because if they've got the money and they need the stuff, they're going to buy it. Why do we have to learn the details of trade? Uh, you have to learn the details of trade because when trade works, everyone wins. And um, for everyone to win, it's got to be a symbiotic relationship. And so there's got 
got to be something else on the other side for them, too. Now, you're busting out $3 words here. <laughs> Ellen, symbiotic. What does that mean in this context? Um, it means that both sides got to win. Uh, both sides got to have something that they walk away with. Uh, everyone's happy. Um, so <laughs> that's what I mean by that. And so um, maybe compromise would be another good word mm. to use. Um, and so... Yeah, we have to kind of figure out uh, what, what are they bringing to the table or that sort of thing. You know, uh, China is another really popular topic uh, market that we talk about. And agriculture is the bright spot with the China relationship right now. So that's what the U.S. is bringing to the table with the with the China relationship. It's kind of interesting in trade specifically with China. Mm -hmm. it, we talk a lot about, oh, we import so much from China. Mm -hmm. Our trade deficit mm -hmm. with China is so huge. And one of the things that brings that trade deficit down is agricultural exactly. products being sold back to China. So it is a win. Yes, exactly. Do you think there's, or I guess, are you hearing more excitement from folks that come to trade school? Is there renewed interest in the concepts of international trade? Um, I think there definitely is. One of the interesting things that we hear at trade school is when we bring in that group of people, uh, we kind of do like an initial survey of who's in the room, that sort of thing. And and so uh, when we start off um, uh, for in the one in Alexandria, we, the first question someone asked is, is AMLO, who is the president of Mexico, is he really going to enforce the decrees? That's a pretty... The banning GMO decrees. Yes, the That's the question. banning GMO decrees. That's a pretty advanced trade question. The other one that we asked, uh, someone asked is, could you explain a tariff? Those are pretty drastically different levels of kind of where are we at as far as the landscape in the room? And so one of the other really interesting things that we see happen at trade school is kind of the people in the room coalescing around this issue. And, and that's kind of, again, kind of a, a great thing to happen at trade school is let's talk about it. Let's, as a group, uh, people in agriculture, let's talk about international trade because it is really important to the bottom line uh, of our producers. Um, it's a bright spot in the China market. It's a bright spot for a lot of other markets. And, and so that's a win for uh, for trade school. And it helps us get more high quality American agricultural products out to exactly. hungry consumers exactly. around the world. That's a win all mm -hmm. the way around. Absolutely. Ellen, trade school, vital in this environment as mm -hmm. we look at the future and, and how agriculture needs to be an exporter. How many more trade schools are you going to be putting together? Do you have any on the books right now? Uh, yes, we have one scheduled for August 26th, and that is going to be in Omaha, Nebraska. So if you are uh, within a driving distance of Omaha, or if you want to fly in, that's fine too. Uh, come on, uh, come on over to Omaha. You can get that information at grains.org um, about trade. There's a tab at the top. You can learn more there um, about that. So August 26th will be the next one. We'll probably have a couple more sprinkled throughout the year. Again, we try to make it regional closer to where our members are located. Um, those are kind of the only one. That's the only one we have on the books right now. Uh, but this is definitely something that is important to the work that the council does, what National Corn Growers Association does. It's an important partnership between us. And it's important to our members, too, because it really demonstrates, you know, the work that they do in state and, and the work that, you know, their national partners that they have in the council at NCGA. Uh, it, it's really important. Fantastic, folks. August 26th, Omaha, Nebraska, the next trade school. You can visit grains.org for more information. Our thanks to Ellen Zimmerman for joining and bringing us up to speed on trade schools. Thanks, Ellen. My pleasure.
And as Ellen mentioned, you can learn more by visiting their website. That's grains.org and check the About Trade header there at the top of the page. You can get on there, get registered for those trade schools because, folks, we talk about trade a lot on this program, particularly international trade, because you, American farmers, are just too good at your jobs. We grow too much produce, grains, meats to feed all of America. We've got to sell it overseas. And, of course, changes in trade have been quick to come here over the last two years, and we're continuing to see the fallout of COVID, the fallout of the war between Russia and Ukraine, and all of these issues impacting global trade. In fact, just yesterday, it was announced that Brazil will not be able to ship any of this year's corn crop to China. It was announced uh, that China has made a list of demands, a list of protocols, and uh, the Brazilian Ag Minister, excuse me, the Agriculture Defense Secretary, um, noted that these protocols provide for the need for monitoring and information on production to the corn crop. And as we, Brazilians, did not monitor the current second corn crop, I reaffirm that exports will only be available from the 2022-2023 summer crop onwards. Now, these are exports only going into China. It's China specifically that requested these additional protocols. So Brazilian corn still will make its way out to the rest of the world. It just won't be moving directly to China this year. We're also seeing some issues develop in Russia with regard to trade. Of course, we remember when Russia invaded Ukraine, many Western companies completely backed out of that country, McDonald's, the big restaurant, being one of them. Well, the Russians did not like to see all these McDonald's sitting empty, so they effectively moved in, uh, nationalized them all in a sense, and gave them a new name. Uh, the name translates to Tasty, and that's it. That's what they're calling McDonald's. And it's gone reasonably well. They say the CEO notes that they sold almost 120,000 burgers on opening day. However, trade is coming back to slow them down because there was not a great potato crop harvest in Russia this past year, which means French fries are hard to come from and tasty and that's it. The McDonald's substitute there in Russia can't get fries. Uh, most French fries are produced in countries that the Russian government now considers unfriendly due to the Russian sanctions. And they have announced here this, uh, this Russian McDonald's that they are not going to be serving French fries this year. And these supply chain issues continue to to be a disruption. Another massive trade headline that has been under discussion this past week is oil, crude oil, of course. We rely on a lot of crude from the Middle East uh, since American pumping has been throttled. And President Biden is over there in, in Saudi Arabia in the Middle East. There was widely anticipated uh, an announcement on oil. Perhaps President Biden was going to conjole the Saudis into releasing more oil. But as this trip is nearing a close and no announcement has come yet, it seems less and less likely that that will be the case. Folks, stick around. We are going to have more AOA coming up next. We're going to be talking about the Asian longhorn tick when we return. It's wreaking havoc up and down the eastern seaboard. And folks, it's moving west. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support, to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. 
Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we light the night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, overall, fairly mixed action going on in the grain and livestock trade. We see corn holding on to a little bit of strength with soybeans and wheat pushing a little bit lower, while cattle are mixed to lower and hogs are mixed to higher in the front months. Overall, fairly choppy, quiet trade being seen so far here today as corded soy uh, recovering a bit as things have calmed down in the outside markets. But we're still seeing a lot of those macro micro factors kind of butting heads here as we head to the end of the week. Crude oil and equities are rallying a little bit here today. Crude oil is up 225 a barrel 9803 with the Dow Jones up 494 points. Now we're going to be watching here prices across our crop markets. They've slid back to the recent lows this week and then uh, coming back up here a little bit as well. And really just watching uh, the weather forecast ahead. That's going to be the big, big driver here in the markets as uh, we move into the weekend and into next week with that hot, dry forecast in front of us. Also, Chinese economic numbers are worse than expected. China's GDP increased at only a 0.4% annual rate in the second quarter, their weakest growth rate in more than two years when the pandemic first began. And that has caused some worry about exports to China. And, and it's just, a, again, some of those macro, micro factors really playing into the market. So a lot of things butting heads. But the big focus here in the U.S., again, heading into the weekend, will be the weather forecast. A few numbers cored for September up four to quarter, 609 and a quarter. Soybeans, August down three, 1468 and three quarters. September Chicago wheat down four, three quarters, 790 and a quarter. KC wheat, September down four, three quarters, 844. Spring wheat, September down two and three quarters, 907 and three quarters. Mixed action in livestock here as we work through our mid-morning. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. summer a lot of us are spending more and more time outside and as we're making hay or going on hikes of course one of the things we notice this time of year 
is ticks in our hair at the end of the day. It's that time, folks. They are out, and we're seeing a new tick threat begin to put some pressure on cattle producers, livestock producers, truly, across the eastern seaboard, and importantly, it's moving west. Joining me to talk about this is Chase DeCoit. He's the Director of Animal Health and Food Safety Policy at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Chase, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about the Asian longhorn tick. Chase, bring us up to speed. Where is this tick causing trouble here in the U.S.? Yeah, so the Asian longhorn tick was originally identified in the U.S. in 2017. It's been established in Eastern Asia, Australia, New Zealand, and other Pacific Island nations uh, for quite some time, but we really uh, noticed the first uh, awareness of this in the U.S. in 2017 in Virginia. And since then, it's really expanded across the eastern seaboard and is moving west. It's now established in 17 states across the east coast and all the way uh, out through Kentucky, Tennessee, etc. So we're really seeing it start to creep into other areas. And that's why we're starting to raise awareness about this and the potential threat it has to the U.S. cattle industry. Well, Chase, I mean, ticks are, are no new threat to U.S. cattle producers. We've grappled with them for as long as I've been in the industry. What makes the Asian longhorn tick threat different? Yeah, so one of the uh, biggest threats is that it can go, uh, it can breed by itself and it can go being unnoticed for quite some time. The tick itself is really only the size of a sesame seed or the size of the tip of your pen. So to notice one tick, you don't always catch that early. But what can happen is thousands of these ticks can overwhelm an animal, causing things like anemia and potentially even uh, early abortion in pregnant cows. And so we're really watching the spread of this tick to understand infected herds. And we're bringing people together for a two-day uh, virtual symposium to talk about what might work in mitigating this tick and how to protect people's herds. Chase, when is that symposium going to be scheduled? Yeah, so our symposium will be August 23rd and 24th online uh, from 12 to 4 Eastern time, both of those days. You can go to ncba.org to register and learn more. Check out the agenda. We have a whole host uh, of speakers, experts, veterinarians, uh, and animal health officials talking uh, to, to really discuss the threat that this Asian longhorn tick poses and how our cattle producers can protect themselves, their business, and their cattle. Chase, you mentioned its ability to reproduce asexually without mating. And I noticed uh, USDA has a, has a fact sheet out there. They say that each single Asian longhorn tick can produce between 1,000 and 2,000 eggs at a time. How does that compare to the domestic tick varieties we're used to seeing? Yeah, so different ticks can reproduce in different ways. Many of them, though, need a male and a female. But like you mentioned, this tick can reproduce asexually, uh, meaning that it does not need a male to help it expand its populations. Additionally, uh, another threat of this tick is that it can go dormant when conditions are not well for it to reproduce or for it to expand its population. So say in the winter or if you even have a year where conditions are not great for uh, this tick to thrive, it will go dormant and then it will come back uh, to life essentially uh, or back to reproductive functionality when conditions are right. So that could be anywhere uh, from one to several years. And we're really uh, concerned about that because the tick may go unacknowledged in different areas uh, for many years, or we may think that we eradicate it without it truly being eradicated. 
Oh, boy, that is some scary stuff. I'm curious about treatment. Yeah, you mentioned this tick has been in Asia for some time. Have they developed any effective treatment measures for it? Yeah, so currently we don't have any products approved in the United States to uh, keep our animals uh, safe from this tick. That being said, there is a lot of research going on to look at potential products that could provide uh, various levels of protection. Uh, and we'll talk about those during our, our virtual symposium to really see what uh, different products folks might use or employ on their operations or what other strategies like keeping uh, foliage and grasses down to make sure that these ticks don't have an environment that is ripe uh, for them to thrive. Gotcha. So we are still just getting started with that research uh, uh, part of the discussion. Chase, where do you see this research going first? Is it on treating for an infestation should one develop? Are we going to work to limit its geographical expanse? Where do you see the, the most bang for the buck coming in research? You know, it's really a multi-pronged approach. We're working with our uh, friends and partners at the U.S. Department of Agriculture through the Animal Plant Health Inspection Service, as well as the Agricultural Research Service, to look at different ways we can, one, mitigate the expansion of, of the territory that this tick uh, currently lives and thrives. Uh, so that's one approach that, and that could be achieved through potential policy measures, through uh, different uh, employment of mitigation strategies. We're also doing research to really understand the tick better and the potential diseases that can be caused by it. And then learning from that different research, both in understanding the tick, as well as policy strategies to see how we can limit the impact uh, of the tick, as well as provide both treatment and control strategies for our cattle producers. You mentioned, Chase, the, the risks that this tick could pro, pro, provide to the industry. I mean, anytime we see an insect that's sucking blood and has the potential to go on to another animal and suck more blood, there's the chance for those diseases to intermix. Currently, does the Asian longhorn tick carry any diseases we need to be concerned about domestically? Yeah, so the first disease that we are mainly concerned about is that this uh, Asian longhorn tick can cause something called Tyleria orientalis in cattle. Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, that can be noticed through fever, anemia, uh, lack of growth and production from your cattle, and in some instances can uh, cause abortion in pregnant cows. Uh, and so that is of immense concern for our producers. That's their livelihood. Um, and so we are working to better understand that disease and understand how we can treat those. You know, one of the complications is that when those different symptoms appear in our cattle, they don't always uh, understand that it may be Tyleria orientalis. Those indications or those symptoms can be numerous other diseases that we deal with on uh, a regular basis and have various uh, treatment uh, measures. But sometimes those treatment measures aren't actually effective in the Tyleria orientalis disease, but really are just possibly mitigating some of the symptoms of other diseases. Okay, so is there a way for producers to make that assessment in the field of uh, what disease the, the animal might be carrying? Yeah, so obviously, as with any other case, if, if our producers are noticing an uptick in these symptoms in their herd, or if they are noticing their animals uh, suffer from any of these symptoms, we encourage them to talk to their veterinarian or their local 
cooperative extension agents. You know, one of the things about this upcoming virtual symposium is to raise the awareness of the Asian longhorn tick so that our advisors and veterinarians across the country can more quickly identify if this is the cause uh, of those problems within a herd. Uh, it's also obviously advised that if you find a tick infestation on any of your animals, that you report that to your local animal health official and they may come out to take samples and determine if it is the Asian longhorn tick or potentially uh, a different pest. Jace, a lot of times folks, cattlemen in particular, get a little nervous about calling and reporting themselves to Uncle Sam for an issue like this. What would they expect if they do suspect a, uh, what would they expect to see if they suspect an Asian longhorn tick infestation, they call their vet and the state gets involved. How does that work? Yeah, so I think that the best way folks can do this is to talk to their local cooperative extension agent or talk with their university, that may pose a little bit less of a threat uh, to self-reporting any of these things. Right now, none of the states that we know of have any sort of uh, measures that would limit uh, these operations and doing their business. But we're looking out for the protection of the U.S. cattle herd as well as that producer. In order to best treat uh, and help that producer, the veterinarians and the animal health officials need to know what they're dealing with. So I would encourage producers to work collaboratively with their local uh, cooperative extension and animal health officials and build that trust and rapport because really they're trying to understand this as well to protect the region and the entire U.S. cattle herd. Uh, and, and obviously, if you have uh, any issues with that, please do reach out to NCVA. We're here uh, on behalf of cattle producers across the country all the time to work with these government officials to make sure that there isn't any undue or unnecessary uh, penalties that our producers would uh, incur by doing the right thing. Right. Don't be punished for doing the right thing, folks. Chase, as we look out to the rest of this summer, do you expect the Asian longhorn tick to be active through this fall? Is that their range? Yeah, so obviously uh, the typical uh, weather that you would notice uh, is conducive to ticks uh, is also the same here for the Asian longhorn tick. Uh, and so depending on the weather patterns through uh, early fall and the different regions that uh, the tick is in uh, will will play a role in, in how we see this uh, season play out. But like I mentioned earlier, uh, that tick is able to go dormant when conditions aren't right for it uh, and could reappear uh, again next year. So we're really keeping an eye on it, learning more and more each and every day. Uh, we've, there's a lot of dedicated folks out there between USDA, various research universities, doing their best to get their arms around it. They certainly are. And folks, mark your calendars. If you're in the livestock space, that two-day uh, Asian Longhorn Tick Symposium will be August 23rd and 24th. Visit ncba.org for more information. Chase DeCoit, thank you so much for talking to us today about the Asian Longhorn Tick. Thank you. And folks, stick around. When we return, we'll hear from Tom Haig, first vice president of the National Corn Growers Association, when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. 
Plus. With the way this year has been going. <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The Parkinson's Foundation knows that the disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. If you or someone you know is living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement, we understand that it can be difficult to know where to find help. If you have questions, the Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease. Help you find expert care and local support. Give you tips for living a better life. And share the latest research. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org. Or call 1-800-473-4636. That's 1-800-473-4636. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better Better lives together. 
The American Coalition for Ethanol is hosting its 35th annual conference in Omaha, Nebraska, Wednesday, August 10th through Friday, August 12th. This must-attend event for industry leadership features timely updates on ethanol public policy, market development, board of director training, and more. This event combines the detail of high-level training courses with all the fun of a family reunion. For event details, visit ethanol.org. That's ethanol.org. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Ironman. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Very excited to be speaking next with Tom Haig, Eden Valley, Minnesota corn grower, current first vice president of the National Corn Growers Association, but come October, takes the mantle of president. Tom, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me today, Mike. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And, uh, you know, you start thinking about uh, when you're going to take over as presidency, and all of a sudden you look at the calendar and you're going, uh-oh, we're only three months away. It is getting the darn close. It's going to start. Yes, it is. Tom is going to start right around harvest time. Let's start. Give us an update on the crops up around Eden Valley. How are things looking? We're we're dry. We're we haven't had, we had a major rain the weekend of Mother's Day where we got five to six inches, and then we got uh, you know we had wet fields and all that. We had to wait until dry down. But since then, our area has been dry. We've only picked up a tenth, two tenths. Everything looks good, but we're going into a hot week right now where they're not we're not looking at any rain for ten days. And you know, we're shoulder high and it's uh getting close to that pollination time, so we're looking at the sky to see if anything's coming and it's a, a blue sky. So it doesn't look good right now, but you know, these hybrids, if we can get a rain uh, we might not have the max crop, but it'll be a very respectable crop. It is incredible what we can do with crop technology in the field anymore, even when things aren't quite perfect on the ground, Tom. And that makes me wonder. You've been in this business a little while, been a corn grower for a minute or two. As you look out from 2022, what is it that has you excited? What's got you fired up to come to D.C. and continue talking about this industry? Well, it's uh, the biggest thing is, is that uh, I get fired up because I want to do this work for this younger generation coming up. They need these same opportunities that we have. And uh, I've always got a saying, if you're, uh, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Well, we have to be out here talking to the politicians, get our points out so they understand where we're coming from. And hopefully they understand. And uh, it's a win-win situ situation then down, down the road. So that's one of the big things that, uh, you know, I'm a fourth generation farmer. I've got my farm with my son who's fifth. I've got uh, some grandkids that are maybe going to be the sixth. So, you know, we want to make sure that opportunities there for these uh, farmers to go and to not be restricted by rules and other regulations to let us have our toolbox and let us go from there. 
Absolutely. Get get the folks who are using these tools in front of the folks who approve these tools, and let's make sure we can we can have a match. Exactly right. You know, if uh, if they take a lot of the tools away from us, well, then we are not going to be able to produce the amount of food that we're doing right now. And what we're doing right now, it's I mean, we got the scientific data behind us, backing it up, but we're still having you know issues with some uh, atrazine and glyphosate. But you know. We're not using, we're going by the, the rules of what we're supposed to be using. We're not going overboard with anything. It costs too much. It's even with our input side with fertilizer. You have to stay within your boundaries because you can just cost yourself out of farming if you want to just keep spending. Yeah, that's true. And Tom, you mentioned the purpose of NCGA, connecting with those officials, connecting with the legislators and the regulators. But I'll tell you what, while I was in D.C. at the Corn Congress meetings, one thing that amazed me is the interconnections that form in this group. I saw farmers of all different ages talking. And in a period like we're in right now with input prices climbing, commodity prices being volatile. It's tough, and it's nice to be able to interact with somebody who's seen these things before. That's exactly right. You know, and what, what's what's great here, we've our organization has got, uh, you know, some older gentlemen like myself, but yet we've got the younger generation seeing the benefits also to help their operations back at home or help their even back when they're home in their states. And it's the grassroots. We're starting right at the bottom. And we work our way right up to the top. So as a, the president coming in, yeah, I'm going to be listening to everybody who brings it on right up the ladder to uh, to go forth in and be the hopefully a good spokesman for the 40,000 members. Tom, if we've got listeners right now who are, are maybe corn producers, but they've never joined NCGA, they, they've never paid their dues, why would they do it? What's the reason for joining and what would they expect once you join, once you become a part of that grassroots? You know, it, it's it, you become a part of the grassroots. It's, it's not that you're going to win a big prize at the end. It's the hard work that you see that you, you do at your farm. Okay, a good example is ethanol hit the market 25, 30 years ago. Corn growers had a big plus in pushing that forward. That was one of the big victories we had. You know, we've had some other victories with uh, when it was when we're in our exporting to other countries. You know, I was just on a past trip with U.S. grains over to Africa to see what U.S. grains do with the money over there to help educate the families and people over there to make a better quality food to feed their animals and everything like that so it's just you know there, there's wins here that it's hard to define but like i say if we're not there at the plate we're going to get destroyed because a lot of other people don't understand what we're doing but yet they want to make sure the grocery store is full right right tom if you're not at the table you're on the menu. I think you said that at the top of the show, and I think that is dead on. Yeah, it is. I mean, because uh, you have to be there. You know, when you sh when national corn growers show up, they know they're going to have a good dialogue with us. It's going to be fair and honest, and we're not there just pounding on the door or anything like that. You have a good conversation with them, and that's what goes down the road, and they remember that down the road they certainly do history is made by those that show up and that's what national corn growers is doing that's what tom haig is doing thanks for joining us today oh, tom. been a, my pleasure thank you mike wish you the best when you assume the presidency uh, in october <laughs> hope for the best correct <laughs> <laughs> thanks tom <laughs>
Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today, and thanks for tuning in this past week. I had a really good time learning more about the corn industry, talking with my friends from NCGA. And just a reminder, folks, tune in the first Wednesday of every month. We'll be doing the monthly grind with NCGA, highlighting the way corn gets used around the world. Hope you have a great weekend. Hope if you need rains, you get it. And if you don't, it stays dry. And you'll join us again on Monday. We'll be talking policy with Jackie Fatka and weather with John Baranek. Folks, take care. We'll see you when the new week starts. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.